Hello, fellow foodies, and welcome back. This is Dr. Cassandra Quave, your host for Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. This week on the show, we're going to learn more about fasting and its impact on health span, a term that refers to living longer, healthier. Our guest today is Dr. William Shu. Um, after 20 years of a distinguished career as an endocrinologist at Harvard's Joslin Diabetes Center, he joined El Nutra in 2019 as a chief medical officer. In this role, Dr. Shu leads the clinical development effort at El Nutra. He oversees the medical affairs department and advances the education and adoption of fasting and fasting mimicking diet as an innovative tool to extend the human health span. Among his prior roles, he's also served as vice president at Jocelyn Diabetes Center, responsible for its international education and healthcare advisory programs. His previous research interests focused on the pathophysiology of diabetes and the application of digital technology in chronic care. Dr. Shu went to Cornell for college and received his medical degree from Mount Sinai School of Medicine. He completed his internal medicine residency training at Yale School of Medicine and completed his fellowship training in endocrinology and metabolism at Harvard Medical School. Thanks so much for joining us on the show, Well, It's great to see you. Thank you, Cassandra. That introduction was way too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to share with the audience, you know, who we've got, you know, let them know that you can speak on, you know, with, with a pretty high level of authority about the topics that we're going to cover today. Um, so I, I guess I just want to start with some basics. We've, we've talked about this concept of health span on the show before, this idea of, you know, of how it might differentiate somewhat from lifespan and how this correlates to different forms of diet. We've talked about the Mediterranean diet and blue zones, but, but for those that haven't heard those prior episodes on the blue zones, like maybe you can start by just laying out the basics, like what is yeah. health span and how does that differ from lifespan? You know, while many of us really want to live long, but what we actually are desiring is actually living long while being healthy. Mm -hmm. Right, so that's the concept of health span, which is very different than lifespan. Most of our healthcare dollars are actually spent in the last phase of our lives where we're struggling with multiple conditions on multiple medications to sustain our life forward. And when in fact, what we really want for ourselves or for our loved one is really a life uh, free of these chronic illnesses. And then when we die, we wanted to die quickly, right? We don't actually want to <laughs> suffer for a long time. And that's the concept of health span. I like that. So it's really living your best life as long as possible. <laughs> that's great. So um, a lot of your research has focused on, on chronic diseases like diabetes. How does, how does diabetes affect health span? Just like many uh, chronic conditions like diabetes and others, uh, it, it really chips away. Uh, it's not like cancer, right, where it, it could enter life right there, but it's a, it's a prolonged uh, struggle for people living with that. And, and certainly people with these chronic conditions, they also develop many comorbidities such as heart attack and, and, and stroke that unfortunately does reduce their lifespan, but also reduces the quality quality of the, the life that you live and thereby also reducing uh, your health span. That's great. And so I know that um, it's becoming more and more accepted that there are certain lifestyle modifications that people can take to improve health span. 
Um, what are some of those examples? I mean, and are these simple for people to follow or, or, you know, we, what's the path forward? Well, I, I think uh, that question is really, to, to me, it's, it's a deep question because the answer is so easy and yet it's so difficult for us <laughs> to, to, to carry out, right? Everybody yeah. knows, number one, you got to eat better, right? In mm -hmm. <laughs> many uh, way that we got to eat in a more smartly, uh, more conscious, uh, conscientiously, and, and, and fasting is part of that, which we'll get into it a, a lot more. We know we need to move our, our bodies, right? We know that exercise is one of those very upstream interventions that when you do them, it doesn't only affect one organ system. It actually affects many organ systems in the body. It's one of those most, like, the best bang for the buck uh, efforts you could do, right? But in addition to that, there are, for example, sleep. You know, there are very few things that when you do, it affects almost every cell in the body. And sleep is one of them. Exercise is one of them. Yeah. Nutrition is one of those. And everything else, it seems like, you know, you got to take this medication for specific conditions and this medicine for that condition. We're talking about here a lifestyle medicine here where the, the key components of our life, sleep, nutrition, exercise, are so important to ev almost every cell in the body. And, and, and while everybody could say that, everybody knows that, there's, I think there's no one in your audience that, that cannot recall what are these important lifestyle things that we can do to improve our health span. But obviously the challenge is, has always been, right, the separation between the knowledge and the ability to actually carry now. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. It's, I think in many ways, our, you know, Western society is not necessarily built to support those efforts. Like in, in the United States, we drive everywhere, right? Whereas in some other countries, like even in Europe, walk to a lot of places, so you get that exercise in just as part of your daily routine. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just making account of all the devices we have around the house. I mean, we even, yeah. even have a robotic vacuum cleaner, right? We don't even have to use the vacuum cleaners ourselves now. So you can see the opportunity for us to actually have active lifestyles just in, decreases by the day. Yeah. Well, we've, we've talked a lot about this, you know, the things that you can eat to kind of have a, you know, to reduce your load of, you know, pro-inflammatory foods in the diet um, and to increase your consumption of, you know, plants that are rich in polyphenolic compounds that have anti-inflammatory antioxidant properties. But that's really focused on the process of, of consuming that food. And fasting is kind of the opposite of that. So what can you tell us about fasting and what does it really mean to fast? And I mean, what kind of time span are we yeah. talking about with fasting? Yeah. Um, maybe let's put a little bit of context around fasting. Right now, it's one of the most uh, uh, trendy uh, eating habit, uh, but but this practice of fasting actually has been around for thousands, if not millions mm -hmm. of years. Think about that, right? Every living organism on Earth has gone through periods where uh, there weren't lots of food around. Even today, uh, other than humanity, you think about every animal, every plant, and, and, and even every uh, insects, they go through periods where there's a long periods of time where there, there's no energy, there's no calories coming in. Mm -hmm. How do we ever survive? Think about it. It had to be these mechanisms that helped us to adapt to those times where there's no energy. 
and it's really the process how we deal with fasting how do we turn that that stress from the environment into adaptive advantage now we're using those inborn mechanisms of survival that have been passed down through generations and and uh, we're using that towards our benefits today and that's really the secret of fasting so while it's trendy it's new it's actually been part of the our biological survival mechanism since day one and uh, it's exciting um, fasting comes in many different forms okay. uh, there are the short fasts and there are the long fasts and there are technical names for them uh, the, the short fast we generally call them the intermittent fasting because you don't do it for a long period of time right so you do it intermittently and that that generally is fasting that's less than two days consecutively okay um, and in contrast there are these long fasts and some people call them prolonged fasting it's self-explanatory uh, or some people call them but periodic fasting because you you fast for a long period of time but you don't do it all the time if you fast all the time that's called starvation <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a nuance there, yes. And, and starvation it cannot be good for us because, yeah. I mean, people die from starvation. It's not mm -hmm. the, the unlimited amount of, 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 of calorie and nutrient deprivation that's good for health. What we are here talking about is these, these stresses to the body that activate some of these survival mechanisms um, it used to use, we used to use it to survive, but now we're using it for our advantage. Uh, let me give you one example. Uh, we often tell the benefits of exercise, right? It's great for your cardiovascular system. It's great for your muscle tone. And we often emphasize the benefits of, of exercise. But think about if exercise is not followed by periods of rest, it is actually really harmful to you. Yeah. Can you imagine running marathon for 30 hours straight? I mean, it's <laughs> totally damaging to the body. So it's actually the alteration between the stress to the body through the exercise and then followed by the rest and the repeated cycles of that, that's actually the key to health. So same thing when you think about nutrition and fasting, they are the yin and yang of life. Mm -hmm. If you simply talk about nutrition, we can get to a state where we are overnutritioned, right? And we if you look at our society today, we, we know that many of us struggle with, with just ha having too much calories. And uh, we as a society here in the US, we're talking about 70% of the population struggling with that from overnutrition. And, and so fasting becomes one, it is the one-two punch to health. You, you eat well, but you also need time where the body is not eating so that the body gets into that cleanup state. And yeah. so this is really the, the fascinating uh, complementary nature of nutrition and then fasting. That's really, that's really well put. I mean, I think it's important to note too, well, you, you differentiate between fasting versus starvation, but also the importance of good nutrition. Um, I'm, I'm imagining that it's not a good idea to eat, you know, a bunch of cheeseburgers and fries and sodas when you're doing your non-fasting days, that those are like high calorie, you know, not, not the best foods that you should also eat healthily um, on those, on those non-fasting days. And yeah. when you, when you mentioned kind of a intermittent fasting, so you said, you know, two days max, but what's, 
two days of no eating sounds pretty intimidating, I think, to most people. It is. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so sure. so what are what are what's the range there? Because I know there are ways to do intermittent fasting where it's it's much shorter and you can include the time that you're sleeping, for example, is really a period of fasting as well. So what's Absolutely. the range there? Yeah. So uh, uh, if we take a look at around the world uh, in, in people who live uh, a very long life, like the centenarians, mm -hmm. um, part of their practice had always been you eat when the sun rises because you're getting ready to work. And then you stop eating when the sun sets. And that's very much synced up with our circadian rhythm. Uh, when you know in the middle of the night or late in, in the night when we're when our body is tired is ready to go to bed all the machineries uh, you know are getting shut down you're getting ready to to rejuvenate to to rest from your weariness of the day now you you, you begin to eat think about it now you're challenging all your GI system you're waking them up from from that ready to rest stage mm -hmm. it's actually uh, you know that that's actually very disruptive to our circadian rhythm and in fact uh, in 2017, if you look at the Nobel Prize uh, in, in medicine and physiology, it was really looking at how every cell has these, these clock genes in the cells. We've known for a long time that there is a master clock uh, in the brain, right, in the pineal gland. But now we know that every cell actually has genes that encode these circadian rhythm. So eating within a circadian uh, pattern, when the sun rises and when the sun sets, it's built inside our body. You know, these are part of the rhythm of, of, of our health. And so the easiest approach to intermittent fasting is simply that. Mm -hmm. It's called the time-restricted eating, where you're restricting the number of hours to, uh, you know, the, the, you're restricting your eating patterns within a number of hours in the day. So somebody, uh, let's say, do 12-12, that means 12 hours of eating and 12 hours of non-eating. And if you do 16A, that often means 16 hours of no eating, and you limit all your food consumption within an eight-hour window. And what that does to the body, it allows the body some time of rest. Uh, now, believe it or not, we as Americans, we eat all around the clock. <laughs> when we wake up, right, we have, have morning snacks, and then uh, lunch, and then evening snacks. I mean, we're eating all around the clock. And what that does, it's, it's almost like a, a car with an engine revving all the time. Yes, you do get to your destination quicker, but in the race of longevity, you don't want to get to your destination quicker. Okay? <laughs> right, yeah. And, and uh, what fasting does, these you know, not eating when the sun goes down, it, you're, it's almost like a pit stop for your car where you cool down the engine, you let the, the tire, the wheels uh, cool down a bit so you're not wearing the treads as quickly as, as you, you might otherwise do. Great. So when it comes to some of the scientific studies done on fasting, like what's happening at the cellular level? I mean, have folks been looking at levels of elevated cytokines or inflammatory signals or, you know, blood sugar tolerance. I'm, I'm just wondering, like, what are kind of some of the physiological signatures that are seen to, to be changing when patients actually um, do engage in fasting? Yeah. So uh, we were in a fantastic periods when uh, there are more studies being done on fasting, various types of fasting, uh, than you can catch up, uh, you know, <laughs> on great. the reading. 
there's just been so many studies coming out, all happening within the last couple of years. And so this is really a culmination of lots of, of new knowledge. Mm -hmm. Now we know, for example, these time-restricted eating or these short intermittent fasting, they're fantastic for weight loss. Uh, and the difference is, is, is that you could get a lot accomplished within the shorter period of time. You know, in the, in the past, we've, we've always advocated low calorie diets, right? So people think it's mm -hmm. simple mm -hmm. calorie in and calories out. It makes methodological or, 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 or math, mathematical sense. When you eat less than you spend, you lose weight. But the reality is we can't do it. It's difficult to be engaged in every day. Being a saint is difficult, right? Yeah. Um, from a dietary perspective. And, and that's the reality. When I was in practice, all my patients knew. Whenever I wanted to send them to the dietitian, the biggest pushback always is like, oh, they're going to tell me to eat less. I know what, what I should be doing. I just can't do it, right? That's like the reality. Yeah. When the rubber meets the road, it's not how much you know. So, so, uh, so coming back to the issue of, of fasting, what a lot of the studies have shown is you could fast, for example, the 5-2 is, is where you, fat, you eat normally for five days, and then two days, not consecutive, but separately of the week, you could eat uh, a low calorie, like a 500-calorie diet, or you could fast during those days. And that's two days out of the seven days. And while the five days, you could go back to your normal life. So the idea of a balance there, uh, it, it's, it, it seems to be easier for people to do rather than say, I have to yeah. be a single for the next five months or six months. Yeah, because that just sounds <laughs> miserable. I mean, it, it's I guess it, in a way it comes down to willpower. But if you talk about quality of life, I mean, it's also you want to enjoy food. Right. So that's absolutely how do, right. How do you do that in a way that's that's not going to be damaging to your body? Yeah. yeah. So so that's the intermittent fasting. The shorter uh, uh, fast, they are fantastic for metabolic control. They're fantastic for your weight loss. Uh, let's say if you do 16, eight, 16 hours mm -hmm. of fasting, eight, and then you do it for a couple of months, at least you're still eating. And, and, and the emphasis is not on how much you're eating during the, the hours you're eating. But rather, by limiting the number of hours you're 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 eating to a certain uh, a time frame, that means you're not eating whole other uh, food uh, in the rest of the hours. And mathematically, it works out. But also physiologically, somehow, it gives the body the rest that it needs to process the times when you're eating a lot. So those are the intermittent fasts. When we move to the, the long fast, right, by the name of prolonged fast or periodic fast, now we're opening up new possibilities. Mm -hmm. This is the time we're really tapping into our physiology, our survival instinct. Um, uh, I often use this example of the big cats, the lions, the tigers. Think about, they don't hunt every day. They hunt a big animal and then eat and they fast for days before they go to the next hunt. So what happens during those times? During those times, the, the body has to figure out, hey, I have no food coming in. I got to do something to survive. What do I do? Instead of burning the calories that comes from outside, I'm going to tap into the depot energy, energy depot that I have within me. And oftentimes that's the fat. And oftentimes, it's, it's uh, from the most metabolic depot of the body, 
which is, or, or the fat deeper, which is actually the visceral fat. That's the mm -hmm. fat in the mid trunk. Uh, and so the body taps into them and, and burn those calories. But while the rest of the cells, they figure that, hey, there's no food coming in. I have to begin also to conserve energy. And that means I'm not going to grow. Uh, so it takes the pressure off growth. Uh, a lot of people think growing is good, but hey, if you're a middle-aged individual like me, <laughs> why do I need to grow? I mean, except for sideways, right? And so the taking the, the pedal off the accelerator on growth from time to time is fantastic. But on the other side, when you're fasting, the cells now must recognize that it, it, it needs to, to recycle some of the components in order to survive, right? That's a survival mechanism. So where is it going to pick? Uh, from it's going to pick from the part of the cells that are less functional, that, that are older, that are uh, more worn out, and it's going to use those parts first. It's never going to go to the most critical components first because then the cells would die, right? So mm -hmm. it, it mm -hmm. certainly takes the older, more worn out components, digest it through the process of of of, of phagocytosis and. And and the, the the digestive system of the cells would then digest those components to in order to make new ones, and what it was supposed to be a survival mechanism now becomes a renewal process within the cells. Now, if you do that on a periodic basis, you cause the cells to go through those cycles of recycling. Then, in fact, you've just unlocked the key to rejuvenation on the cellular basis. That is only possible as you do a longer fast and, and because when you do the shorter fast it's just not enough stress for the cells to adapt those mechanisms to do that and so when you say a longer fast like what would the, that look like and are you drinking lots of fluids during this period i mean what what types of things are happening on in a practical Close. side yeah and so so i like what you the word you just used the practical side because there is the theoretical side there is the practical mm -hmm. side Theoretically, it sounds great, right? You're, you're stressing the cells, so the cells go into these re rejuvenation state, but in reality, it's difficult to do, number yeah. one. Number two, it could be unsafe for many people to do because the stress, the pure stress of, of no food, especially if you've never fasted before. Hydration certainly is, is very important. I think talking to your doctor, just knowing the pills you're taking, mm. knowing your health conditions, I think it has to be individualized. Um, Although many of the religious fasts that, that we that we that that has been passed down through generations through different cultures have been these longer fasts, um, and now the benefits would be very different. Mental clarity would be one of those. That's why a lot of the religious fasts have been taking place over a course of a few days. Uh, you're certainly going to see a more uh, significant weight loss compared to the intermittent fast because you simply are uh, just getting less calories. But beyond the calories, however, on the cellular effect, it's all about the stress of fasting that causes the triggering, right? The activation of these survival mechanisms. Now, of which uh, there's a concept, this, this cellular renewal, um, the, the concept is called autophagy. This is the process by which the cells gets recycled and, re and generate uh, new contents for the cell survival. That process is so critical, 
to, to, to the, the rejuvenation, the renewal process of the cells, getting the junk out of the cells, that mm -hmm. it was, that work was uh, uh, awarded the Nobel Prize in 2016. So these are seminal work. Yeah. Um, mechanisms being passed down from many, many, many generations, and yet science, we just begun to uncover the mystery of it. Well, I love the fact that you brought up, you know, the relevance of, of this type of practice in different religions and different cultures. I mean, this is something that humans have somehow figured out a long time ago um, in very different parts of the world. People speaking different languages, having different religions. Um, so these are these are indeed, you know, very old practices. And it's, it's interesting to see, you know, the work that's starting to emerge on the science of how it actually affects the body. Now, yeah. I know that. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, in fact, some people uh, argue, and, and this is debatable, that uh, fasting is one of the common denominators among all religions. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's such a it's such a great point. I mean, so um, yeah, there's certainly a lot of a lot of cultural relevance there. Well, I know that you've also done a lot of work with this other form of fasting called the fasting mimicking diet. So what is that and how does that differ from some of the other forms of fasting that you've described so far? Yeah, well, thank you uh, for uh, for that question. Uh, I think, you know, as clinician like myself uh, and researcher, um, I think pragmatic solutions are mm -hmm. are really the, the answer. People, for example, always ask me, uh, what's the best time to exercise? <laughs> and I, I always give a pragmatic answer that is whenever you can. Yeah. Okay. Because we just don't. And in general, in general, so whenever you can, right? So yes, everyday nutrition is great. It's very important. Fasting is also very important, right? All Everything is important. But the relevance here is that if you could... Uh, the, the key question here is, can you do it? That's really the most in, important question. We know there are so many great benefits associated with prolonged fast, but it's so difficult to do. Yeah. And that's why, that's why the technology now allows us to understand, hey, you know what? Can we hack this? Can we hack fasting? In other words, is there possible? is it possible for us to to provide some nutri nut nutrients during fasting that still allows us to benefit from fasting, many of the benefits of fasting, and yet support us during that difficult times of, of adherence. Uh, and, and that's really the incentive behind uh, uh, these fasting mimicking technology. The, the story uh, really started out, uh, out in, in USC, the University of Southern California, through uh, a professor by the name of Walter Longo. Professor Longo had been studying the intersection between nutrition, mm -hmm. uh, longevity, and fasting, and he found a fasting intersection. That that nutrition is obviously very clear for uh, very important for longevity, uh, and and yet um, it, it's also this yin and yang, right? It's the nutrition plus the fasting, the periodic fasting, uh, that. Um, when done over a course uh, of, of an animal's lifetime, maybe he was studying rodents at the moment, uh, was able to extend lifespan. So it's fascinating. You provide some good nutrition, but you, you provide some fasting periods, and that leads to longer longevity. And he was trying to figure out, like, how do we, how do we bring this to hu humanity? If you tell people to fast for a couple of days, people are just not going to do it. It's just too difficult to yeah. do. 
So especially alone, I I think that's one of the things that we're also missing with the religion component. It's like you're doing it as a group and there's social reinforcement. But if you're doing this as a diet on your own, that's really hard psychologically to do. Yeah, it is difficult. Uh, You know, food has been such an important part of our our, our life here. And and so uh, going back to that story. uh, So Mm -hmm. what he wanted to do was to figure out. You know, because inside every cell, there are these sensors for nutrients that tells the cell if they should grow or they should they go into their autophagy state, rejuvenation state. Mm-hmm. What is the determinants? Well, nutrient level is. Uh, if the cell sees that there are lots of nutrients around, so these are the glucose molecules, these are the protein amino acids molecules. If, if there are lots of quantity flowing in the bloodstream, what does the cell do? The cell says, I got to grow. I got nutrients, right? Because for most of, of, of our biological history, whenever you have food, you want it. I mean, most of the time we were, we were living in situation, there weren't lots of food. So the body is primed and designed to always grab that food and grow. Mm-hmm. And so these sensors, you know, is there a way to where we could provide enough nutrients below the threshold, a detection threshold of these nutrient sensors? So that we could, while we give some that minimal uh, uh, or optimal amount of nutrients, we could k- uh, keep the cells in a fasting state while provide some nutrients to sustain people over that period periods of time. That is the birth of the fasting mimicking diet, and this this work was actually uh, sponsored uh, by the funding from the National Institutes of Health, and mm-hmm. where where they saw the potential for this uh, in human health and. And, and that was the birth of fasting mimicking diet. That's great. And so when you say nutrients, I'm just thinking, are we talking about like vitamin packets? Or are we talking about whole foods? Like what is, what is it really, what, what, what's involved in that? Yeah. Uh, you know, clearly we, 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 we could have uh, engineered it so that it's a pill. It's a, right. Um, but we also know people want the texture, the, 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 the feel, the mouthfeel. So, yeah, the fasting mimicking diet actually comes in the form of soups, bars. Uh, there are uh, vitamins to support uh, your health during that period of time, but uh, but there are substantive nutrients that that could actually give you some sense of satiety. It's never going to fill you up. It's after all a fasting uh, mimicking. Yeah. Uh, but we have done now a number of trials, both in animals and as well as in human trials that it does in fact keep the body in a fasting state while uh, you're on the fasting mimicking diet. That's great. And so have have you all done any studies on compliance? Is it easier to kind of keep with that versus, yeah. you know, if you're just going straight into fasting with water? I think it's clear. Um, you know, first day, the calories is about 1,100 calories. And the second day to fifth day is about 780 or so. And so uh, that little bit of very scientifically formulated uh, uh, nutrients uh, definitely is able to keep somebody on a fasting period um, for five days. Compare that to water only, it's it's night and day for sure. Yeah, that's huge. Well, I know um, kind of thinking about the bigger bigger terms of, of nutrition, what are some of the foods that you've recommended to your patients in the past to kind of keep them 
on, on a good diet? Like what are, what are some of the recommendations that you give them when you're not fasting? So you have these cycles of fasting, what types of foods they be eating um, when they're not fasting? Yeah, I think that's a really critical question because after the five days of fasting mimicking diet, what follows that? Mm -hmm. uh, as I mentioned, starvation is never good for us. We're talking about uh, it, it's, it's the refeeding that follows the fasting that is really the solution here, the repeated cycles of these. And so uh, when, when you're going through a period of fast, you're almost like you're, you're bringing your, your, your cells dry in terms of, of all the raw materials that's necessary for build up. So immediately follow the fasting period, your cells are so hungry. It's going to gobble up anything you put in your mouth. Yeah. And so that's the time you want to have clean food, number one, because mm -hmm. all the toxins and the pesticides and those, your body is going to want it to gobble everything up and included all those junks uh, in the foods. So uh, following a period of fast, you want it to go organic. Uh, we do suggest you start. Uh, with more plant-based food to, during that period mm -hmm. of time. Uh, I think that's that's really a good way because during that fasting, you're changing a lot of stuff in your gut, right? You're you're really changing the makeup of all the cells in there. Uh, you're also clearing your body of many of the of the bad things that, that you had before. So now um, replenish your body with plant-based food. I think that's one. If you must uh, try animal protein, just go for uh, for pescatarian uh, diet with fish, mm -hmm. and especially for about five or seven days after that. That's that's an important refeeding periods. Uh, you want to make sure you replenish the body, so all that uh, that 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 energy, the stress of the fasting, now gets dissipated, and so you can now return to a state of normal. Now, um, what 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 do you do afterwards? I mean, it's it's actually really interesting. After five days of the fasting mimicking diet. There are not only physiological changes, but there's changes on your mindset as well. Oh. Why? Be because people feel better. Um, mm. Religious fast, think about that. The, they were driving for their spiritual and their mental health. And so a lot of people after a fasting period, they feel more energetic. They, uh, they experience mental clarity. And a lot of people do that. You know, by second and third day, they already feel like, wow, my mind is very clear. And what happens after five days of, of the fasting mimicking diet is then people actually have a desire to control what they eat afterwards because that five-day period changes your relationship to food. Your addiction yeah. to your previous, whatever food that you were addicted to, five days without it, it changes the circuitry. It changes the emotional dependence on it. And, and one of the most common questions people ask after the fasting mimicking diet is often, what should I eat now? Wow, that question is 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 yeah. like a doctor's dream. Now the patient's activated, right? The individual now wants to say, "What can I do to really uh, a follow up on this fantastic fantastic experience?" And I think you know uh, what follows that. I think when someone is activated, their heart is ready for change, and that's a beautiful story. Oh, that's that's a really great point. You know, and I really appreciate your mention of the changes to the composition of the gut microbiome because, you know, our guts, our gut microbiome is really um, influenced by what we put into our body because <laughs> you're feeding not just your body, you're feeding all the microbes that live in your body, um, which can definitely Im impact mood um, yeah. as well. Yeah. 
And I think, you know, it is, it is not something you can achieve just by one cycle. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, is there one exercise where you do once is going to enhance your cardiovascular health. So it's likely the repeated cycles of fasting and then replenish with good source of food, like a plant-based diet or a pescatarian diet. That's going to overall change a lot of the, the bacteria in your gut. That's great. And so when you talk about cycles of fasting, like how, how frequent, um, you know, what, what does the research show so far? Like what's, what's the level of frequency? Are we talking once a month, once every two months? Cause these are five day fasts. So like, how does yeah. that, or more frequent than that? Well, for the, 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 clearly if it's a longer fast, you don't want it to do it as frequently. Mm-hmm. For the time-restricted eating, where it's 16 hours or so, you could probably do that every day for a couple of months straight. So that's mm-hmm. not so much stress. But with with a five-day uh, fasting, such as the fasting mimicking diet, we would suggest no more no more than five days per month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you allow the 25 days to really to have your body go back to to a normal feeding state. And it's remember, it's really the repeated cycles of fasting and then refeeding. That's really the key. It's not just yeah. the fast alone. And so, for for most people, with when they try on the fasting making diet, they would do three, four cycles in a row. And then once they achieve their metabolic goals, they would then just do every three, four months, uh, every season as as a as a base. It's almost like uh, often have the analogy of, you know, weekend cleaning versus a seasonal cleaning. Yeah. Right. So the intermittent fasting is almost like, you know, every weekend you kind of, you know, dust around the house, you know, you, you do a little mm-hmm. vacuum here and there, but when the spring comes, when spring comes, what do you do? You do, you take down the your deep curtain. clean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You do deep clean. <laughs> so that deep clean, it's not, it's, it's a good idea to do that almost every season, uh, prolonged fasting. Um, and if you find it difficult, there's always fasting mimicking diet that can help you. That's great. And so for any of our listeners that, um, live with chronic disease that have, or maybe clinically obese or have heart disease or diabetes or other kinds of chronic conditions, they should definitely speak with their doctor if I'm understanding right. And like, as they explore these options, um, but this could be something that could help get them back on path for a healthier lifestyle. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, speak to the doctors, it's important, especially if you're on medication that mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. may have impact during the times of, uh, of fasting. I think that's relevant, especially people who are on insulin or are taking uh, pills uh, that may may have to do with their blood glucose levels. I think that's, uh, um, and people who are, uh, you know, who may not know how they perform during fasting period, um, and they could get get weak because they're not getting the food. Uh, I think the the story also, I think it's important for the listeners to know that a lot of these side effects of fasting, right? These experiences of hunger or, mm-hmm. or, or dehydration actually decreases uh, over time with each of the fasting episodes. I often uh, use the analogy that when you go to the gym, the first time you, you do a, a yeah. I don't know, a bench press, I mean, what happens the next day? Your muscles sore, right? And that's because your body's not used to it. Your body, or you do yoga and you stretch the first time, you're like, oh my goodness, uh, my legs are sore for days. But if you keep going back to the yoga studio and you keep doing it, what happens? It, it, it just disappears. Yeah. 
Same thing with metabolism. We're so used to burning the carbohydrate that we eat right away, right? That we eat, we, we get this sugar rush and we like that sugar rush. But over time, when you're fasting, you don't have that sugar rush. You're actually using the fat inside your body to burn them as fuel. So you're able to switch between that carbohydrate burning and fat burning very readily. There's actually a term we call, much like we borrow from the physical world, it's called metabolic flexibility. Mm-hmm. That you're now more flexible. You're you're easy. You're you're able to switch over that that source of a fuel burning without going through a traumatic dramatic. <laughs> uh, yeah, experience. yeah. I mean, I can say from my own personal experience, I've tried intermittent fasting before the sixteen eight, and it. I think one of the biggest changes that I personally felt, and I've heard that others have had similar experiences, is that I I really lost that sense of lethargy. At midday, you know, I was I was able to be much more productive in my work because I didn't have that kind of period where, you know, you have a often very unhealthy lunch at my desk and I just kind of crash out with my energy levels. Um, I also noticed I, I was very uh, I was a much better cook because I was more in tune with the uh, the flavors at night. I don't know. I think there's like there are periods in my life where I've been a really good cook and it's been when I'm pregnant and have, you know, really in tune with senses and then um when I've, when I've done intermittent fasting. So I'm, I'm interested in trying out this, uh, the, the mimicking fasting mimicking, um, approach, because I think I've never quite achieved that longer phase for, for cell rebuilding, which is important. Yeah. Well, this has been fascinating. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I I think, uh, my, my recommendation is always to start today. Don't, don't wait. Uh, if you think fasting is like so far away from you because you get hungry all the time, I say to start simple with 12-12, right? Mm-hmm. Almost everybody could. It's almost safe for everybody to do 12-12 unless you're on a heavy dose of insulin. But yeah. 12 hours of eating, 12 hours of not eating, start today. And then yeah. as your body gets used to it, when you begin to experience the benefits of intermittent fasting, then you can go to a 16A. Then you might want to consider maybe two days out of the week to fast, and 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 then. But if you are, you're more. If if you are want to take a different route, you want to jump right into the the long fast. I would recommend not going to the five day world only fast. That would be very very challenging. <laughs> really hard. Yeah. Right. So there's always these fasting mimicking diets that can help you if if you find it difficult to do that. Yeah. So the, the biggest challenge I think is, you know, even going to a 12, 12 means you've got to really cut out those, those late night mindless snacks while you're watching TV. Like that's, that's, I think one area where a lot of people yeah. pack in a lot of calories unintentionally. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I mean, we don't all eat out of hunger, right? Most of it, yeah. uh, most of the eating actually comes out of social, uh, out of emotional needs. Some, some, sometimes we eat out of loneliness as, as well at night. So yeah. yeah. And we, we even have a solution for that. And for, for people who struggle with that, it's the same fasting, the baking, uh, diet technology. There are now variants of products that are available to support you. There is the intermittent fasting bar. We call it the fast bar. Uh, you could use it at night and, and it will provide a little bit of a calories there but it will not break your fast. And so they are, we live in the 21st century. There are yeah. actually smart ways to fast. That's great. 
Well, thank you so much, um, Will, for coming on the show. This has been fascinating. And um, I want to make sure I, that listeners know where to go to find out more information. Um, can you tell us you have a website and Facebook group? Yeah. So for, for those of you who wanted to, to know more about the company that's behind all the, the research behind the fasting mimicking diet, that's l-nutra.com. But if you're interested for more pragmatic support during your times of fasting, you could go to uh, prolonfmd.com, prolonfmd.com. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Cassandra. Great. You've been listening to Foodie Pharmacology, the science podcast for the food curious. I want to give a shout out of thanks to our producers, to Rob Cohen and Christine Roth for producing the show. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in each week. I would love it, love it, love it if you could go on to our, um, our Apple podcast account and leave a rating and maybe a short review. Help us help others find the show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay healthy out there and I'll see you next week.